This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to the first edition of Beyond Governance show for 2020. I'm delighted to be in your midst as we share the space and time with you. I could not wait uh, to hear from you uh, as it you know, feels like it has been a lifetime since you and I have a, we had a conversation about what really matters at the macro and the micro level of governance and management. I sincerely hope that 2020 is the year of deliverance for you and your business. Frankly speaking, we have no choice but to focus on strategic levers that will enable the economy to be where it is. We have no opportunity as a country to reflect or act differently on critical issues that are facing the country. We cannot uh, at any point um, ignore the social imperatives that underpins the, the discourse that, that we're currently experiencing. I implore uh, you know, business formation, the likes of BUSA, Business Leadership SA, trade unions and government to ask one question. What is in the best interest of the country? For this kind of disposition acknowledges that we have vested interest. We often come to the table wearing caps that reflect our own agendas, which in some instances don't necessarily uh, imbue the what is in the interest of the country. So that's one, piece, that's one big thing that we as a collective needs to, to, to reflect on. Before you get into the gist of our conversation tonight, let me take this opportunity to thank those who came before me. Uh, Simon, uh, Lindywe, and uh, Unati, thank you very much for gracing the airways. Um, as we proceed, I'm sure that um, you know these guys who came before me have really done a sterling work in keeping you glued, glued up to your radios as they give you you know information that is quite or, or issues um, that that are quite informative from the content and also from an aesthetic pro- programming point of view. As we kickstart the year, uh, let us all work towards what is in the best interest of the country. So that's going to be the theme of, of tonight's uh, conversation. And of course, I would like you, you know, your thoughts and views as a norm, uh, weigh in our conversation through our SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is, of course, it's 061-895-1019. And my email address is nimrod at haldosiedezere. As always, uh, I'm with Tabo. Thank you very much. How are you? Great stuff. I hope you've had a fantastic, uh, you know, break. You come back reinvigorated uh, to a point where we take the show to height, to greater heights. Uh, once again, thank you very much. Uh, tonight, you know, as a norm, you know, we normally really reflect on 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 the issues that were. Um, we know that the country economic growth is. Nothing to laugh about. We are completely in a serious crisis, as it were. So I want us to reflect on that. Um, on a positive side, we have had interesting development, which as a country we need to leverage on. Um, the passing away of uh, Dr. Maponya, for an example, has been a great loss. Um, and we hope that the caliber of leadership that he ex you know, who has displayed over, over a period of time, um, the younger generation is able to take the baton forward, uh, for it is important. Um, as we get to the issues uh, at hand tonight, I'm going to be joined in studio by uh, familiar voices on the show. We've got Donati Mtenizi, who is the uh, independent analyst. Uh, Lassi Chinyawa, who is a former MEC for Economic Development and a former mayor of um, Bumbela Municipality. Justice Ndaba, who is an executive at, at uh, Lola Jenkins Group. And, of course, uh, the regular voice, uh, uh, Eric Stillerman, who is the CEO of uh, Net Growth, as well as, uh, biz, uh, as, well as uh, London Business uh, School SA Online. Uh, colleagues, let me take this opportunity to welcome you. Thank you. Good evening. Being your decade. How, how do you, how, what is the mood like uh, in 2020? They call it 2020. <laughs> Are we seeing lots of plenty things uh, happening? <laughs> plenty of what? <laughs> yeah, I was just saying before we went on, if I may, uh, uh, South Africa is a country of contrasts and paradoxes. On the one hand, the media tells us that it's a mood of gloom. And on the other hand, 
the country is like partying and on permanent holiday and there seems like a light-hearted air and, you know, celebration. Explain to me how this works. <laughs> Can anyone? <laughs> Which one is the truth? <laughs> well, you'll tell me, uh, Lassie, you know, your, your, your mood for the country as, before we kick off. Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Or are you in between? Light uh, always represents hope and, uh, you know, excitement for the future. If uh, anything starts on uh, dimmed lights, uh, it doesn't really inspire hope. <laughs> And Onati? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think things are going to change, and uh, they're going to change drastically. And I uh, can't wait for that change to happen. Yeah, well, Thank it, you very much. I'm if, there, if there's any excitement, and if indeed that can actually be that ignited light, if we see more and more people wearing uh, orange overalls and uh, destined to prison, yes, indeed. <laughs> I, will say, I will say the same thing. <laughs> let's, wait, wait, let's wait and see. Wait, wait and see. Uh, well, kicking off now, colleagues, let's perhaps maybe start with a very important issue, um, which is the leadership crisis at ESCOM, because I believe that ESCOM is such an in- integral part of the economic growth, and we all conclude uh, and agree that we cannot afford to see ESCOM failing or ESCOM is too big to fail, as we, 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 are, we are made to, to believe. Um, but here's the question for me. We have seen um, the hope and, and aspirations have not really manifested in, the, in, how the, in how ESCOM has been managed thus far. The issue at hand uh, is the resignation of Jabu Mabuza. Um, two years as, at the helm of a very troubled entity, and we've heard that the presidency, through the presidency, that um, there's a new board that is coming. And, and these issues bring more questions than answers. We've heard load shedding, which we were told at some point that load shedding would, would be a thing of the past. And it <coughs> has had devastating effects in the economy. Northern Cape, a province that rely on energy, um, have, have expressed disappointment in, in, in a most profound way. Northwest, um, a, a, a province that is driven by, you know, uh, mining um, has expressed shock and disappointment, and no wonder why the economy is growing at less than uh, uh, less than a percent. So these are the first question issues that I want to uh, pose to you and say, how do we turn around uh, uh, ESCOM? We have noted at some point that uh, ESCOM is going to be reconstituted or reconfigurated into three uh, entities, um, and and. How far are we uh, in as far as that issue is concerned? Bear in mind that we've got, you know, we don't only have a board technically because the new board is going to be coming. And my view, my, my view is that uh, for any turnaround to be sustained, we do need to have a systemic approach to challenges, leadership crisis. We need to have, we need to thoroughly and vigorously look at the shareholder um, role and responsibilities and ask a question the extent to which the shareholder um, you, you know in this particular instance, Praveen, uh, Minister Praveen the extent to which he has been able to arrest the decay um, at the management level at the board level there are certain issues at the management level there are also issues so we need to have a systemic approach because the issues at ESCOM which find expression in leadership crisis are systemic in nature so we need to move away from bandage approach in resolving some of the crisis. That's my offer on the table. Perhaps maybe we need to get to hear uh, your views on this very critical and very complex issue. Let me start with, uh, with, let me start with Eric. What's your take on leadership crisis? Okay, I think you, you've got to look at the uh, dead end, uh, the, the, uh, the, the lack of movement, not only at ESCOM but in the country generally as, as, as a, a symptom of... Um, social and political conflict between different interest groups at at a macro level. You've got (coughs) um, not only the Zuma faction and the Ramaphosa faction, which which are trying to influence and are pulling in different directions. You've got the union movement, which has hundreds of thousands of jobs at stake, which wants to preserve those jobs and get constant increases and bonuses and resist any attempt to cut costs and then you get the business interests and the professional interests which Jabu Mabuza represents 
Andre de Rota represents, in essence, Busa, as we've heard from Busi uh, uh, a few times, uh, representing efficiency, putting SAA into business rescue, saying, how do we reduce costs, which by implication means cutting a lot of costs, people costs, infrastructure costs, operating costs. So... The question really is, under Pravin's leadership, Pravin comes from National Treasury. Pravin comes from the school that says, let's restructure, let's create efficiency. And you've got competition from Gwede Mantashna and a movement to put ESCOM under the Department of Minerals and Energy, and he represents the unions. He comes from National Union of Mine Workers. So the question really is, is how... Do we achieve a, a, a proper pragmatic compromise in this country between the different competing interests to get some kind of a win-win where we can move forward in a productive way? Just one little glimmer of hope I have on ESCOM is I, I was reading today that Gwede Mantash is in favor of renewables and IPPs which is part of the solution, ideally. See, the solution is not an ideal situation. It has to be a trade-off, a, a, a give-and-take between the rival interest groups to then be able to get efficiency and, and, and to deliver the goods. So that's part of the paradoxes and the con- contrasts in this <coughs> country. What do you think, Gus? No, thanks, Sam. I agree, I agree with you. <coughs> most of the things that you said, Eric, and uh, I want to also... In, you know, at that, uh, the, the crisis or any challenge that you can, that manifest in different aspects of life and in different institutions in society is a reflection of the crisis that you have at the core. And the core being the political leadership and management. If there's a crisis and, and there's a instability at that point, if there's no coherence of policy, convergence of forces that see themselves as uh, the important agents that must drive change. In any society, especially democratic uh, environment, a very important driver of change is a government. And, uh, you know, a government will always be like the embryo of an egg that will determine the type of species that you will have. If uh, there's chaos at that level, uh, you must expect a, you know, domino effect across almost every aspect of life. And I think that's one major challenge. Policy, certainty, but also the, the challenge of not thinking long term. And, and just looking at short-term interventions, uh, and you would never you never drive the economy of a country as sophisticated as South Africa, the, the the most leading at some point, you know, in the continent, unless you know you bring you bring that certainty, unless you also you know just as I said, not just plan long term, but systematically have mechanisms of ensuring that planning does not just end with it pronouncements and declarations, but, uh, you know, effective implementation planning, because South Africa is one of the strangest countries uh, in the world, where almost every time that you have a new leadership taking over, it's like, uh, uh, you know, this child is going back to a stage of infantile, you know, a a, a, a process. So you you have a vicious beginning, you have a vicious endless of beginnings, where there's no corporate memory and the consistency in what happens. And then there's also that problem of uh, people who move with uh, a past mentality. When a minister gets shifted from correctional services, he takes a police to be in charge of transport or a police to be in charge of mining. You can't have that situation. Normal societies anywhere in the world always bring an element of continuity, but also consistency. And most importantly, building on memory so that if you are 25-year-old, a 25-year-old government, you don't have a situation where the capacity of the leadership that you put into positions are those that still need exposure at the first level, not even, let's say, not even diploma or d- degree level, but first level that must actually be in charge of people that are far more capable and experienced. But again, in that situation, you have two holes that are drilled. A hole that you drill from Department of Correctional Services or Sport, where you take the whole bus with you to a new department uh, or any other. You drill a hole that side, you leave, you remove memory, then you, you, you go drill another hole because you have to remove those people to find their experience. So it's, it's really that chaos that I think uh, it's uh, one of the major challenges and therefore it will manifest in, in other aspects of life. And ESCOM is a typical example, you know, of, of, of that and many other. In fact, uh, somebody was saying to me the other day that, you know, the only thing that seemed to work that is now in the hands of government or where government is playing a role is how train. Everything else collapses. 
Thank you very much for that insight, uh, Lassie. We're going to, we're going to come in. Let me just give um, Unati uh, a chance to uh, his his views, because both of you, Eric and, and, and Lassie, have raised very pertinent issues. But perhaps maybe as we run off the initial thought process, let me get uh, uh, Unati's view. You know, it's actually nice to have Lassie here because he has such interesting... So I'm saying he has such interesting insight. But I think our problems are old. Our problems, I think, go back into the 80s. I mean, as Lassie was talking, I'm thinking about that ANC document that was saying ready to govern. govern, Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And how on paper in the document we were ready to govern, Mm -hmm. but we just didn't have the people to do it. And we have not invested in developing the people to be able to do it. And I think Pulukwane was another tipping point for us as a country um, because I think of the few people that were capable, they got dispersed into different parts of the world, not even different parts of the country, I would even say to different parts of the world. And uh, since then, honestly, we've just not been able to recover as a country. So we've had, if you go back to 2007, we've had close to 13 years now. Out of the 25 years, I'd say close to 13 or over 12 of that, over half, it's just been poor leadership. And I think that's what we are facing now. We don't have a a leadership crisis at ESCOM only. We have a country leadership crisis. And that's what we, 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 we we are facing I, I, I mean, I read somewhere a board member of ESCOM saying that if the politicians were not to interfere, we could sort out ESCOM's problem in six months. So, and, and that's, that's, that's strange to hear from a board member because I assume that that board member would have been privy to a lot of the documents that have been prepared by the different technical committees that have been appointed to work and the war rooms that have been appointed to do work at ESCOM. So, at the end of the day, the, 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 the big problem is political leadership. And I mean, I mean, we, we're going to talk about SONA, maybe we have time to talk about that. I mean, this will be the president's fourth SONA, mm. if you think about it. But there's nothing really tangible we can, he's just there. And he's just moving from one crisis, in my view, to another crisis. Now, what happens when his deputy says his minister had misled him? Now, how he must he resolve that? So, that for me is the real problem. The real problem also maybe is also an issue of apathy in South Africans. Um, I mean, I look back and I look about the 60s and the 70s and the number of ordinary South Africans who are willing to participate on how the country is governed. That number is very low. But here's the thing, perhaps maybe uh, uh, before I bring um, Eric in, because three of you have raised very pertinent issues, maybe let me look at the issue of um, Gwede Mantashe's uh, um, view in relation to, to energy mix. And and I'm also quite happy that he is pro uh, a different, he's, he's not pro uh, necessarily coal. Uh, you know, he wants to bring other players into the fold. And that was, that for me, that was quite smart. But the biggest issue it is the location of ESCOM. Currently, his view is that it needs to, well, at least uh, there's a sense that if ESCOM were to be brought under the Ministry of, 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 of Energy, um, it is likely to to address some of the you know uh, issues. There's one school of thought that says that's the reason why we are we, we are where we are in terms of uh, malfeasance, in terms of malgovernance. So there is the other school of thought is that let's locate ESCOM in a special uh, uh, ministry like public enterprises, because in that way you're able to sequence, you're able to control. Um, the appointment of board members able to control the appointment of the executive. You, you naturally have to, you, you're in a position to concretely hold everybody to account. What is your view on that? Is, is the positioning of ESCOM uh, in <coughs> Ministry of uh, Energy relevant or irrelevant in a greater scheme of things? Now that, um, you know, Lassie pointed out to the, the, the leadership crisis, not only at ESCOM, but at, at the political level. 
So, so personally, that's a bigger question. Eric? Well, well, like I was saying earlier, Praveen represents the fight against corruption, fiscal discipline, his history uh, of some success at, at, at National Treasury, and that's really what he wants to do in public enterprises. Gwede represents, has got a strong union constituency and, and obviously wants to preserve jobs. Um, in essence, there's also a, a, a knives out for Pravin and for Cyril, so that in a way what I've been reading reflects on people trying to bring Didi, Ace, trying to bring down Cyril, moving towards the pol- policy conference in June. Uh, this is another kind of failure of of the Cyril team that that that's an issue at stake. So um, I actually don't believe. I think it's it's always there's been a war room for a number of years. It's it's a multi ministerial task team that they have in charge. It's the, the 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 president is 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 in charge of that. He's the captain of the ship. He needs to reconcile these interests. I just want to make two more quick points about this, in terms of capacity. Unati, you were talking about, and something that shocked me today. You know, I, I don't know what your um, info is on 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 the COO of Eskom. I think he's that's his title, Jan Oberholzer, the guy who knows how to switch the lights on and off, right? And, I mean, yesterday I saw a report that he wants to, for, for, for the next three to six months, cut the capacity down from 40,000 megawatts to 25,000 megawatts, only have the functional power stations running, and put all the rest on proper full maintenance proper full maintenance programs so that we finally resolve the technical issues behind ESCOM. So it might seem the, the commentary I saw in, in the business press was quite favorable to that. At least a guy knows what he's doing. Today I heard a story, which I don't know the, the validity of, that, that Jan Oberholzer has been orchestrating the, the creaming off the top, the looting of ESCOM. He's the kind of guy that knows where the fat was, and that's those are the kind of people you can't discount the impact of corruption, where seemingly comfort, competent people from the old establishment who had the skills were actually brought on board into into corruption. So, you know, who are the people to be able to? Sort the mess out. Actually, you need the strong leadership, Lassie, as you were uh, you were saying. I'll give you one more anecdote, if I may. You take I don't know if you've been following the Boris Johnson story in general, but this week about how he took the Irish government, the the, the Northern Ireland government, which was dysfunctional for uh, I think a couple of years, since all the factions could not come to a power sharing agreement. And this week he put together a power sharing agreement, reconciling competing interests, showing the political leadership, even whatever your view of him personally might be or Brexit. The fact that he finally got Brexit done and strategically called an election, won that election, he's got his majority, he's building alliances with America, with even with Europe and coming back and saying we're going to do this better. So that's what you would expect of a Cyril or a top political leader in a country, you know, that kind of political savvy. But, you know, maybe before Lassie comes through, I just want to put, um, um, you know, issue that I think we need to have a, a pretty much focused conversation on this. One, I've said initially we need to have a systemic approach to finding solutions at ESCOM because the problem at ESCOMs are not just management, governance, you have to look at the entire uh, system. So at the shareholder level, the conversation so far pretty much sit at the shareholder level. Let us show, let us resolve challenges at the shareholder level. The extent to which Praveen, as the captain, uh, uh, whether he's been supported or not supported, and how does how does he win the battle? While we're molding on that particular issue, we're going to take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. 
Welcome back. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, we're having a very interesting conversation with uh, Eric Stillman, Lasi Chingwao, as well as Unati. Um, the the issue that I wanted to ra- that I raised before we went to the break is the the, the 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 need to have a systemic approach in resolving leadership issues. Um, by that I mean we need to look at the shareholder um, role and responsibilities and competencies thereof. Go back and address the the board or governance issues, but at the board level as well as at management level. Because my sense is that so far we have not been able to uh, to, to 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 fully comprehend the complexity of the issues from a systemic point of view, and that in in my mind results to the kind of dilapidating circumstances we find ourselves at at the moment. So we have pretty much dealt with issues that are confronting the shareholder, the minister, deputy minister, and the president. Clearly there's a crisis, there's a leadership vacuum. But let's now take a step back and look at the board. In my mind, it doesn't really matter. You know, Jabumabuz have resigned. You can put um, any other person, competent person, but if you don't, if you lose sight of the chronic nature on a systemic nature of the challenges at ESCOM, we're going to go back to Zmir. They've just appointed a new CEO who started in, in December. And, and as, as things stand, I will not be surprised if he'll be, if he'll be you know, packing his bags uh, in, in no less than two years. So, so we have seen it. You know, one of the things that I want to throw in is the comment made by the former CEO of, of ESCOM, Coco. He said the problem with ESCOM it is it is experience and expertise. The majority of um, executives don't know what they're doing. Um, the board members have no grasp on the real technical issues. So which now comes back to the point of how do we get people who are knowledgeable, competent, and who don't necessarily need to be spoon-fed. The assumption is when you move into that kind of space, you have what it takes. To manage and lead, surely there will be a information asymmetry if you don't have the technical understanding of energy at the board level. You're not in a position to ask critical questions. So any information that is presented to you by the executive, you're going to look at it from a superficial level. So there lies a problem at the governance level. We do need to have we do, we, we need to put men and women who are thick-skinned who understand the sector, who are able to ask critical questions. The, 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 the kind of quagmire that we're seeing, for me, raises questions on the, the ability of the board to raise issues and even ask pertinent questions to the, to the executive. I want to put it to Lassie. Thanks, yeah. No, it's, a, it's a whole set of uh, you know, complex issues, um, and I think the... You know, latching on to what Eric mentioned earlier and what you just mentioned, for me it begins with, uh, you know, solid vision, good leadership, a clear, defined sense of purpose of where the country is going. What is the direction that the country is taking? What are the key strategic sectors of the economy that need to be leveraged on that at the center of driving the direction of the economy. can go through all of them. What sort of competency, capacity do you mobilize you know, to drive that? And most importantly, again, in the broad range of interests, like a nation information like us, that I think started on a very right footing of uh, uh, your credit peace, reconciliation, nation building, the reconstruction and development intervention that acknowledge the diversity of interest that had to be managed, harnessed, but also the energies that had to be mobilized behind, let's call it a, a commonly shared development discourse, which speaks to what you have mentioned, your national interest. Do we really have that, that we call national interest? Do we have what can also be defined as a national contract? that brings a sense of consensus among all the important players that agree on the fundamentals of each throwing their weight behind what is identified as uh, this 
national you know, direction. You can go to all revolutions or any changes anywhere in the world. The success of those societies <coughs> are the ability to harness the conflicting interests because there will definitely always be diverse interests. Where each sector sees the need to throw their weight behind this national discourse based on what each stand to benefit. But in our case, uh, there doesn't seem to be such direction. There doesn't seem to be, as, as I said, building up on the foundation and the pillars of what makes us a successful nation. And it's not just that. It's also about uh, comprehending, comprehending the, 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 the global environment, the continental, the national, but locating the role of South Africa in that context. Currently, honestly, there isn't any sense of direction that we can even affirm and assert in terms of, for instance, becoming a very important strategic player that is an economic locomo- locomotive of the of the Australia, of the continent. There isn't very little that we can feel as the vibrations that come from this engine that impact on uh, SADC development, the integration perspective, because the growth of economies globally is no longer just about isolated countries isolated provinces and cities, but, uh, you know, you, you, you develop the capacity even of different levels of, of government, national, provincial, local, to become global players that actually even compete against each other, but in a harmonious way that actually is, 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 is converging around the, the patience of uh, global interest. As we speak, for instance, if we make an example in China, what they've come up with on the 1st of January is a further consolidation of what is called the opening up and reform, which was a clear, deliberate and conscious strategy that says you will never be able to grow a country's economy looking at the limitation, limited capacity of a, a national fiscus. But to say, how do you really begin to, to build two, two legs? that support each other in a complementary manner, and advancing national interest on one hand and using the capacity you have, unlocking assets and whatever else that develop the economy, but most importantly, opening up your economy to ensure aggress- an aggressive drive that bring you know, massive di- foreign direct investment into directed economic sectors that also factor in a very critical area of one hand, budgeting to aggressively improve the infrastructure of the country, but also most importantly improving the service environment. We're talking, it's leadership, it's vision, but practically coming up with interventions and, as we said earlier, identifying all these institutions that must contribute to what you can call the developmental mandate, and each with a clearly defined role that is not going to be tempered or uh, with or d- interrupted by who is in the political office, but again, fundamentally, who you put in the political office, how competent they are, uh, you know, is is is, is very important. But that's not rocket science, Alasi. That's I mean, that's that's foregone conclusion. We do know, but what is it that we are not a? Why are we not able to follow through on those basics? Because what you've just you know talking about, there's nothing different about. Uh, about it. It is just a question of following through. Um, why is it our political leadership um, is not able to harness these kinds of issues and plug them in at the shareholder level as well as at the management, at the board level? Because the issue here is that, you know, how, over the past, I'm going to put this to, to Nati, um, how many board members have changed seats at ESCOM? Over the past 10 years How many CEOs How many board members have changed seats And and how do we expect To turn around any institution Under those kind of circumstances The other issue is I've picked up recently that There is more than a thousand disciplinary hearings That are pending People are being paid salaries Day in day out And these disciplinary hearings Are not being taken through If that claim holds truth it again. What does it say about our leadership? How do we turn the corner when we are blatantly engulfed or involved in fruitless and worthless expenditure? Because mm. there's no any other explanation. Because if you want to charge an executive, you follow it through. You don't just come charges and put him on a suspension and, and hire someone else to do his job while you're still paying him. Mm. And why is the board... You know, because if those, if, if that, if those allegations are true, why have the board failed? Because ultimately the board assume full responsibility. Why is it that we're not being able to, is it, is it fractional politics playing, um, in that kind of space? And if it's fractional politics, clearly we don't have a sense of what is in the best interest of the country. Because if we had that 
sense of what is in the best interest of the country would have nailed some of these issues in, you know, in the butt. You know, I want to say something that might seem off on a tangent, but I think it's important. You know, in all of us as human beings, our hearts are stronger than our minds. So, when we elect, appoint people into positions, we don't do it with that understanding. At the end of the day, it is the heart of the people that are in these positions that determines how they behave. So, I'm linking it to the s The heart to the head. The heart. So, at the end of the day, this is my distant view, you can't solve ESCOM's problems unless you solve the country's leadership problems. You can't. And what we don't realize mm. is that in the period leading up to Pulukwane and that, mm. what we did was, and I say collectively because some of us were bystanders when we should have done something, we destroyed the ability to elect a legitimate leadership. And the reality is that unless we have a legitimate leadership in place, we will not be able to solve these problems. Because even now the leadership that we have, it to, to a, a significant section of our communities or our other parts of our leadership, this leadership is not legitimate. And that's the problem that you have. So unless we find a way or we have a crisis or even a constitutional crisis, why we just, everything just comes to a standstill. We find a new leadership. But before, can I just interrupt you there, um, Unati? When you're saying the current leadership is not legitimate, uh, when the, the, the election took place and people were elected in those particular offices, um, Perry, maybe just clarify, because someone who's listened to the show said, but, I mean, legitimacy it, issues are, 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 have been dealt with. There's been elections. No, uh, let, maybe me, just clarify. Let, me, let, let me explain what do I mean by that. A section of our, com- of our, of our, of our citizenship believe that this leadership, even though elected, is not acting in the best interest of this country. And part of a leadership to have perceptual legitimacy, at the very least, perceptual legitimacy, is to be seen to be acting in the best interest of the country. That's a, that's an interesting qualifier because. And, and, and in my view, this leadership doesn't do that. I mean, I was listening to Eric, Eric saying that Praveen represents um, um, integrity, and but there are other people who have stories against him who say that he doesn't do that, and these people can produce whatever they have to prove that he doesn't do that. And if he did, in my view, if he represented the integrity that Eric is referring to, in my view, he should step down. There's just too much around him. Why him? If he had the integrity. He should himself act in the best interest trust and say, I have now become a, a hindrance. Even if I've not done anything wrong. But my, my presence here is no longer conducive to governance of this country and therefore must step down. Not necessarily as an admission of guilt. So he doesn't do that. Now the question then, the next logical question is why? Then people conclude that because he has a vested interest, which is other than the best interest of this country. And he himself then loses the legitimacy. So, like I've said before, without legitimacy, you can't, because you're right, Lass is right. It's not that we don't know what should be done to correct ESCOM. We all know that what should be done. We can put Eric there, I'm sure he'll solve the problem. <laughs> but the issue is, the issue is, will the leadership of the country back Eric to do what we all know is the right thing to do? Let me perhaps maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, add another dimension to the complexity of this issue. And that is the imminent downgrade of, 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 um, in the, the country. We've seen a fridge in 2017, um, have really expressed unpleasant uh, focus about the economic growth, which the numbers don't lie. Modi's is about, I mean, in my view, in the downgrade is completely, I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. What is, is there that kind of understanding and comprehension at the macro level 
that we are completely in a, a mess and the cost of running the business, of running the country, uh, will not be sustained unless we, we really address the, the, the fiscal issues in terms of the, 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 the expenditure, you know. And, and of course, um, Dito Mwoyni being a proponent of a fiscal discipline, um, he's almost like flying solo because um, everybody is, 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 is up against him uh, in terms of, of his views, in terms of cutting, you know, because we really have to cut. So, so the, the, the question ultimately is, um, do we know or is there a, a, a understanding across the political spectrum that if we are being downgraded as it's going to happen, what will it take for the economy to be revitalized? Yes, at one point you may argue that downgrading it is obviously undesirable because it attracts um, a whole lot of other players like IMF, you know, and, and one if you know, one school of thought says if IMF um, will come to our show, we lose um, authority in terms of what is it that we want to spend money on, education, health, social development, and so on and so forth. You know, those issues take will no longer take a, a center stage because you're running a, a budget deficit. By implication, you need, you need to go and borrow, <coughs> and when you borrow, there are certain conditions. And you no longer dictate if you're going to borrow because, you know, so so those are the issues that in my mind, I want to know if there's a thorough understanding at the political level and the extent to which business, because business, earlier on, um, Rick, we have said to the CEO of uh, Business Leadership SA, Busisi, we say, look, business should not stand by the, by the wayside because they themselves are, by extension, going to be implicated in terms of running business. Of course. They, they will naturally, because they have to go and borrow, it's a cash flow issue. So there is no way in which business can sit on by the wayside. And, and have they literally engaged robustly by, 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 by forcing government to think in a particular fashion? Thanks. Uh, look, with regard to the potential downgrade... I think um, it's it's not a foregone conclusion. Uh, Tito put out a statement, and in fact there was an NEC meeting, I think it was last week, where the whole NEC agreed with him that his economic strategy plan, and which is going to affect his budget and fiscal discipline and the potential to keep away a, a downgrade, they're giving it the political backing that he needs. He's got to craft together a budget that balances and that builds confidence in the rating agencies, particularly Moody's and in lenders, including the banking sector, that he can implement that budget. So it's, it's, and, and Moody's rating uh, announcement is only going to come in March. As I understand it, the, uh, the, the Sona is early Feb? Yeah, it's in Feb. Feb. And, and, and the budget is late Feb. So everybody's going to be waiting for those t- two speeches and I'd be, I'd be interested to know your guys, uh, thinking on the, on Sona and, and the budget. No, but, but, but Eric. Yeah. The facts, you know, stay, the facts remains. We're not growing. We're barely growing at the percent. At, at, at this point in time. The, the growth picture, what I've heard Moody's are saying, it's about getting the budget under control. That's issue number one. And that is not a foregone conclusion at all. I mean, remember but, that, but getting, that, that but the Eric, ceiling of debt internationally is about 60% of GDP. South Africa's on about 58, just over 60% right now. But the question, what proportion of, in, of, of, of the GDP is spent on infrastructure? Because you cannot grow the economy by managing the budget. That, that, that's, in my mind, that's a very myopic way of understanding economies. No. Because you need to, the only way of managing <clears throat> the economy is to invest in, in production, invest in, in infrastructure. Because the bulk of people who are currently unemployed need to be invested in in economies. So, so I, I don't agree with you there, Eric. Interestingly enough, uh, Annabel Bishop, the chief economist of Investec, wrote yesterday uh, a report on infrastructure. I think uh, Investec put out a report on infrastructure spending. Businesses' share of infrastructure investment right now is 70% of infrastructure investment, and it hasn't actually gone down. It's been quite steady. Are uh, you asking about the role of business in all of this? 
government, uh, you're quite correctly, as you say, they're not, they're not putting the money into the projects which would be productive. That still doesn't mean a downgrade. It's, you remember, you must understand, of course, that the rating agencies and all the financial institutions are going to suffer themselves if there is a downgrade. So it's something that Moody's has been trying to avoid as long as Tito can present a credible budget that he can implement and let's see what he's got to, you know, to offer. I, I, you know, the, the interesting about this imminent downgrade is that a couple of things that I think Moody's expected us to do, we haven't done them. Correct. And I think that's where, for me, the challenge is. And I don't think a budget speech or a state of the nation address, which we've had many before, and if we didn't do all the things that we expected to do, will change that. Um, so, and by the way, the other rating agencies have already downgraded us. Mm. So it's not like all of them haven't downgraded us. And in the last instance, Moody's did change the outlook of our, of our credit rating. Sure. So the only thing that would have, in my view, reasonably saved us is that after that credit outlook change, we would have done something. Mm. But in my view, thing, worse things have happened. Mm-hmm. We have to change the leadership at ESCOM. The economy has been, uh, growth uh, forecast has been downgraded by the World Bank. Uh, the president is, has no confidence in the same board that he had appointed not so long ago. So mm. I, I, for me, I, I just don't see how reasonably Moody's would come to a conclusion that we would do something about it. Unless, in my view, they downgrade us. There's a crisis. And we start standing up in the streets and we tell the government they need to do something or they must get out. Lassie, you're parting short on this particular issue about the, the in my view, uh, inevitable grade, um, downgrading to a junk because that I, means we're no, longer, um, invest, we're no longer investable. Even if we are about to raise loans, it's gonna, we will spend substantial amount mm-hmm. of returns servicing those loans, you know. High interest rate. We, we operate in an environment where there's a, an expectation of, you know, what I would call minimum universal management, you know, good management of, uh, well, state affairs, if you like, state institutions. And uh, we can't keep on making promises that, uh, that said, don't get demonstrated and manifest in actual changes because there has to be difference, uh, different discourse. You know, from the commitments you make, there has to be stability, there has to be political leadership that is decisive, there has to be certainty, there has to be policy certainty as well, there has to be, you know, all of these things that you factor in that just create confidence, you know, for, especially from an international investor, you know, you know, you know, you know, in a point of view that uh, we are moving in the right, in the right direction. And uh, I, I'm sitting in a situation where I think the, the petty, challenges of uh, lack of political management even of the relations of the the organization that is at the helm of 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 of, of the state uh, is not really generating uh, uh, certainty because what i mean you know who whoever you put in leadership positions for me must be something that is also linked with uh, an understanding of what is expected, what what can actually be prioritized as something that needs needs to be done. But the orientation of leadership, and I think an art, the craft that has been mastered, in my assessment at a distance, is a craft of stealing and looting. If the, the, ori- the, if art the, of? the art of stealing and looting. So if the orientation is not about mobilizing energies and resources to invest in what can make our country great, but is is about competing on how aggressively each party or team that has a chance uses or utilizes that opportunity to loot, to steal, to you know, then then the orientation is different. The direction is not in the in the context of taking the country to a particular level, but it's about draining the resources. If you can look at the systematic drainage of the sources and the bloating of the state, because it's also driven by the fact that those that come in have this uh, the, I call it vote banking a, a, a responsibility of then, uh, you know, thinking of those that they need to invest in that would then guarantee their return. It's no, it's no longer driven so much about, as I said, 
national interest which must be at the center, but sustainability of different conflicting interests where if an opportunity comes for people to be placed in leadership responsibilities, it's about, uh, you know, paying back and uh, obviously bringing only those that would be aligned to a particular factional. You can run a country in that sense. You can, you'll never, and I'm just re raising that as a, as a bigger challenge of the, let's call it uh, the political and institutional, you know, paralysis. Will that political and institutional paralysis be remedied by the outcome of the Zondo Commission? Uh, because that will come with a series of investigations. You put uh, NPA, you put Zondo Commission, you put presidency. Uh, earlier on, uh, when we started, you said, you know, part of the hope could be ignited by seeing people in... In, in, in uh, overalls. Or, 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 or you need to have a follow-up, a clean-up. So will that will that ignite uh, a, you know a, a different view in terms of reconfiguring the state and making sure that there is uh, a culture of accountability? Not Any, of looking anywhere. There's no consequence management. Uh, there's a recipe for chaos. Thank you very much, yeah. <laughs> Onati. Your parting shot. I just want to agree with Lassie. I think he has articulated very well, and I go back to my point. Unless we have legitimate leadership at the helm, we always have this problem. Um, Eric? Oh, I'd, I'd like to say Lassie for president. <laughs> <laughs> we need guys like this. Where have you been hiding, Lassie? No, no, but look, look the man has been an MEC of finance, yeah. and, and, and under his leadership, Mpumalanga, you know, money, resources, I know because at the time, you know, I, I, I had a, a stint with him. Um, and as a mayor of uh, Mbombela, you know, he has done so much in terms of bringing the credibility of the municipality at the level that was desirable because he himself, he knew that, um, uh, you know, he was not there for his own pocket or, or for his own cohorts of people. You know, he was there to advance the course of the municipality and as well as the course of the province. But but these are some of the things that we, we do need, and, and unfortunately we have run out of time. Um, we, we obviously need to revisit, revisit these kind of conversations, but not from a blame narrative. Mm, exactly. But what are the solutions? Yeah. What are the solutions? That's, because, because that's the focus. Yes. We, we need to concretely put mm. uh, solutions. One of them that we have spoken about is leadership mm-hmm. um, and how to build capable state. And and we can't build capable state state when we don't have ethical leadership. Mm. But how do we and show and and, 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 and and foster that culture of accountability beyond those that nominated you or beyond those who are, who, who voted for you? <clears throat> how do we create this web across the board? How do you bring businesses, how do you bring unions, how do you bring all the stakeholders despite their conflicting interest and, and get to a point where we share consensus, trade offs? But unfortunately, that can't happen until we have open and frank dialogues about how to take the country forward. I think that's going to be my party shot. Colleagues, thank you very much. Eric Spillerman, as always, thank you very much for your input. Lassie, you've uh, really given us a a thought-provoking insight based on your experience, and I certainly think listeners have thoroughly enjoyed your your, your views. Unati, as always, thank you very much for coming through. Um, Until we meet again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Let's do this again next week. Adios. Thanks.